Holy Gospel this morning according to St. John, the 12th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. When the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came not only because of the Jews of Jesus, excuse me, repeat. When the great crowd of the Jews learned that he was there, they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was on account of him that many of the Jews were deserting and were believing in Jesus. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. People of God, this is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Everybody comfortable? There's some uncomfortable things in this text. Um, And it might just be because we're, we're so far removed from the setting in which it happened. Um, that, that it may not jump out at us right away, especially because this is, this is scripture, right? This is Jesus. But I, but I think if we take a little bit of a closer look at this reading from John 12, we'll, we'll find that um, these, these 11, 12 verses are really uncomfortable. Um, what are some uncomfortable things that, that happen in life that we encounter, right? For some reason... Uh, Right, people touching other people's feet seems to be one of those taboos in, in, in our society. Um, we're uncomfortable with conflict and confrontation. Right? And I, I think we're also uncomfortable with the, the exorbitant accumulation of wealth and its distribution. And we find each and every one of those things in this short little passage from John. Um, it happens on the night before Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, what we'll hear next week at, at Palm Sunday. Um, Jesus returns back to Bethany after some time away in the wilderness, hiding from the religious authority who had, had plotted to kill him and his disciples. After some time in the wilderness, they've come back to Bethany and Lazarus and Martha and Mary. They decide they're going to throw Jesus a party. Lazarus sat beside of him. Mary 
And Martha had prepared everything. Martha served. And then Mary takes this this costly perfume, anoints Jesus' feet, and wipes them with her hair. And if we stop long enough to actually picture that played out, right? In the middle of a meal, someone stops and gets up and pulls a jar off the shelf and sits down at another person's feet and essentially massages them with with perfume. So much so that the perfume fills up the entire house. It's an expression of gratitude, right? Jesus is seated in the guest of honor. And we remember from last week that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. We can assume that Mary is just beside of herself with, with joy and with gratitude that Jesus has, has given her brother back to her. It's also an expression of, of deep devotion. Right? Jesus is the guest of honor. He is called by Mary and Martha, a, a renowned teacher. They look to him for his wisdom, for his guidance, for his presence in their life. And Mary wants to make sure that Jesus know that he means the world to her. But it's also deeply intimate. In about a week and a half, we're going to come here on Monday, Thursday, and we're going to hear the story of how Jesus washes his own disciples' feet and the way that that makes them uncomfortable. Most homes provided water for guests to wash their own feet. And if there were slaves or servants in the house, that duty was relegated to the female slave, considered to be in that time the lowest of the low. But that washing happens as soon as people come in the room. This is in the middle of supper. And Mary comes and sits at the feet of Jesus and covers him in this oil, this perfume, only reserved for Jesus. But even more bizarre than that, she uses her hair to dry his feet. Then, as, as today, a, a woman's hair is sacred, right? You don't, you don't touch it, you don't pull it. Um, for the Jewish customs of the day, a woman did not leave the house with her hair uncovered, let alone hanging over the shoulders, let alone shown to a stranger in your home who is not your husband. As she uses it to dry his feet. More than a foot washing, more than the actual anointing itself. This is probably the most uncomfortable piece of this entire scene for every single person gathered around that table. Because this is odd. You don't do this. Which is in part what I think spurns the conflict 
the confrontation. Judas makes it about the value of the perfume and selling it for the poor, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But I, th- I, think, I think more than anything, Judas wanted to break the silence and draw the attention away from this uncomfortable thing that Mary is doing into a place and into a position where he can wrestle back some control. We could have sold this for 300 denarii and given it to the poor. What a waste. What a waste. And it actually goes with that conversation of wealth. Right? And in, in the middle of this incredibly intimate act, Judas inserts himself and, and offers a statement that contradicts everything that Mary is doing as an expression of love for Jesus. John says that Judas is a thief. He's anticipating the conflict that's going to be coming within the week. Because in the eyes of the disciples, after the fact, Judas had stolen Jesus' life from all of them. And really, we might say it all began because Judas was uncomfortable with what he was experiencing in the presence of Jesus. So what do we do with this jar of perfume? Right? A pound of, of pure nard, and it's not even really a, a modern measurement of a pound. Um, that, that's not a really good translation for that unit of measurement. It, it's about 12 ounces as a solid. So think of three sticks of butter. Or it's about half of a pint if it's liquid the standard size of a coffee mug. Fit in the palm of your hand, either one of them. And Judah says that can be sold for 300 denarii. Anybody know how much that is? One denarii is a day's wage. 300 is a year's wage. Accounting for Sundays off. A little bit of vacation time thrown in there. A year's worth of perfume in the palm of her hand. And she uses so much of it that the aroma fills the space. I don't wear much cologne, but I know that if you've got the good stuff, you don't just spray it like crazy, right? That's, that's a finger dip, and you rub it behind your ear, and you go, because otherwise it's overwhelming. She uses enough that it stands out. I think it's interesting that John chooses to tell us how much it was worth. Because one of the things that we mentioned when we talk about the raising of Lazarus passage from last week is that for Mary and Martha, Lazarus' death most likely means that they have no way of securing any kind of stability For their future. Women can't work outside of the home. They can't own property. Or acquire or accumulate wealth. Of any way shape or form. In this time. And their brother seems to be. Their primary caregiver. Now that he's dead. 
How will they live? And yet here, after Lazarus has been raised, we find that there's a jar of perfume worth enough to keep them safe and secure for an entire year just sitting on the shelf now on Jesus' feet. What a lavish gift to offer. Because it's not just generous in the sense that it was expensive. It's not only generous in the way that Mary graciously and gratefully anoints Jesus' feet. This is their potential livelihood. And Judas is saying, you just poured this out? At least it could have been given to the poor. I don't know about you, but Judas makes some sense to me. But of course, Jesus' response shows us that there's There's more at play here than we give credit for. You always have the poor with you. But Mary bought this so that it might be saved for the time of my burial. Jesus doesn't seem to be saying that, you know, now you always have poor people around you. Don't worry about it. Jesus seems to be recalling the law of Moses from Deuteronomy. God telling the people of Israel, there will never cease to be poor in your land. And so therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your sisters and your brothers, to the needy and to the poor in your land. The expectation Jesus is recalling is that there are always going to be people in need. And as people of God, we are always called to be generous and supporting the needs of the poor. What Jesus is, is lifting up is there's an expectation above and beyond that. Because Jesus is wondering, how do you, my disciples, minister to the body of Christ? He lifts up Mary who tends to Jesus with an extravagant generosity and a a whole-bodied devotion that cannot be shaken and that makes everyone in the room shift in their seat because it is so uncomfortable. But that's not the only thing, I think, that exists in this space. That would make me a little nervous. They're eating lunch with a dead man who they all saw laying in a grave, who they watched hop out covered in grave clothes and who now sits beside of Jesus like it never happened. Isn't that odd? Lazarus' very presence at this meal 
makes Jesus an object of intrigue and curiosity. The people who come to see Lazarus do so because they know that Jesus had raised him from the dead. And so in coming to see this man who was buried and now walks, is also to come and see the one who pulled him out of that space. And to figure out what it is he's all about. It's the new life that Jesus works into our own midst that brings others to see and wonder for themselves what might this this Jesus person be? What might he do for me? What might he do for this broken world that we live in? It's the greatest act of evangelism that there is, right? See the works of God worked in your own midst. And these, these crowds of Jews who flocked to them, it says at the end of the, the passage that they, they had deserting, they had been deserting to come and follow Jesus. And that's really not the best translation of that word either. Because deserting means that they're abandoning something. And we're led to believe then that they're abandoning their Jewish roots and heritage. Which isn't the case. They're still Jewish. They're still going to the festival in the days to come. They're still going to go to temple next week. But if they are deserting anything, it's, it's they're deserting the hold that death has over our head. The discomfort. And the awkwardness and the unfamiliarity that life sometimes stirs up. That's being deserted and abandoned and left behind in favor of the one who sits beside a dead man and offers him life. All of this is not without its own conflict. What we hear there at the end of this reading and even the end of chapter 11 from last week is that people are so uncomfortable with this, this Jesus person walking around raising people from the dead that they're plotting to kill him. And not just him, but Lazarus as well. Because his life is now lived pointing to Jesus. And that can't stand. And so throughout these 11, 12 verses, we see and we hear that even though perfume is what fills the space, the stench of death is not far away. Because Jesus himself says this perfume is used for for his own burial. That'll come less than a week later. Mary prepares Jesus' body with a pound of this perfume. When Nicodemus comes later in the week, he will bring a hundred pounds. And he and Joseph of Arimathea will lay Jesus' body in its grave. 
when the body of Christ is close to death. Jesus lifts up those who minister to that body in acts of selfless generosity and intimate devotion. As we find ourselves in close proximity to whatever death it is we're experiencing, a personal death, a communal death, societal change, loss of a source of, of fond memories, the fracturing of systems that support and nurture and encourage us. When the object and the subject of our devotion is on death's door, Jesus encourages the actions of Mary over and against the acts of Judas. It's about offering care. It's about giving of ourselves. It's about ministering to the body of Christ. Not about the false sense of security that wealth or the personal potential for individual or communal or institutional survival brings. Much like last week I said, we, we, we are called in this wake of Lazarus's raising to enter into the space of the dead and to minister to the body. Jesus drives that home even more today. Use what you have stored up for yourselves to express how much Jesus really means to you. Prepare his body for death with the best that you have to offer, with the entirety of your being laid bare in a most vulnerable and intimate way. And in that space, in that space of discomfort, God will do the rest. God will do the rest. Amen.